great to be back with you at the Jewish Growth Podcast, and yet these have been challenging days as we witness Putin's outrageous attack on Ukraine, his invasion, which is dealing such a massive blow to millions of innocent people. May we soon see a time that Putin and all evil are defeated from our world. When we read Tanakh from the War of the Kings in the days of Abraham to the persistent invasions of Israel during the Bias Rishon, the first temple, we see an enduring theme that the powers of the region were constantly trying to assert control over one another. There's just scores of times when one powerful state tries to rule over another as their vassal subservient state. It's a theme, as you know, that underlies a huge portion of Tanakh. And with Putin's invasion of Ukraine, we see just how relevant these ideas, these themes are today, even in the advanced era of 2022. Russia's Putin, of course, has massive amounts of land, wealth, power, and yet it's, not, it's all not enough. And ironically, as Putin tries to make himself and his power even greater, it seems highly likely that in the end, his war against Ukraine will make him a diminished figure. And already Putin is becoming very isolated on the international scene. The underlying irony is that Putin is someone who's trying to exert power. And in a desperate attempt to gain more control, he demonstrates to the world what a weak person he really is. And it's a weakness which, of course, is not limited to Putin. It's a, it's a common theme in history. We can see it in a personality like, like Haman, for example, which we're reading about soon, who rises to become the second in command of this greatest empire in history, and everyone has to bow down to him. And yet, Haman famously declares that all this means nothing to me. Any time that I see Mordechai the Jew sitting in the king's gate without bowing down to him. I mean, can you imagine a weaker and more insecure person? What is the meaning of this insatiable drive for more power? Why are power-driven people so insecure? And how do we defeat them in a dangerous time such as ours? The Gemara and Chulin Peitasim and Bey's 89b comments that there is a fundamental difference between righteous Jewish leaders on the one hand versus idolatrous leaders on the other hand. The Gemara says that God desires the Jewish people. He has a desire for them because when Hashem bestows greatness upon Israel, they become even more humble. The Almighty declares, Nasati Gedula li Avraham. I gave greatness to Avram, and he declared, Afar va'efranoch. Avram said, I am but dust and ashes. I gave greatness to Moshe and Aaron, God says, and they declared, Venachnuma, what are we? I gave greatness to David, King David, and he declared, Tolas anochi velo ish. I am but a worm and not a man. And on the other hand, with the idolaters, the opposite is true. I gave greatness to Nimrod, God says, and Nimrod said, Let us build a city. I gave greatness to Paro, and he said, me Hashem, who is God? And in a similar vein, when Hashem bestowed greatness to Sancheirov and Nebuchadnezzar and others, they arrogantly exalted themselves above Hashem. So this passage in the Gemara is pointing us to arrogance versus humility as a real key dividing line between the righteous of Israel on the one hand and the beasts of history on the other. What is it about Sadikim that enable them to take the stance of humility, even when Hashem bestows greatness upon them? What is it about idolaters that prevents them from this humble posture? 
is there an inherent connection, perhaps, between idolatry and arrogance? The Gemara in Shabbos 105b equates anger with idolatry. And in a sense, when we let our wrath flare, it's like saying that the whole world needs to follow our will. And so the angry person is making themselves into an object of worship. On the other hand, for the humble, Hashem is at the center of our world. And that is the essential lesson of Sefer Shmos, the book of Exodus. According to Ramban, Nachmanides, the entire saga, the whole story of Shmos, is a progression from slavery, subjugation, to geula and freedom. As the Ramban points out, the pinnacle of redemption is the very last verses of the Sefer, which we read this week. And it's there that we find that Hashem, His presence is visible by the the eyes of the entire Jewish people. So Moshe was our leader, and he stood in the middle of things, so to speak. But Hashem is the true center, not Moshe. And in fact, as our parsha closes, the Torah marks, Moshe Moshe was not able to come into the Ol Moed when the cloud, the Anan, dwelled upon it. As the Ramban explains, when the Anan was atop the Mishkan, even Moshe was not able to enter without God's permission. For the Jewish people, everything in this world revolves around Hashem's presence. So even if God bestows greatness on one individual or another, the greatness that God gives us is a vehicle for us to connect with Hashem. And that's something that really comes across in the developed Jewish personality. Recently, I came across a, a, an interview, I believe it was in the Mishpacha magazine on, on YouTube. The interview was with the, uh, com- the Jewish composer, A.B. Rottenberg, great composer. And the interviewer referred to Rottenberg as, quote, the goat or the greatest of all times uh, in Jewish music, as, uh, that is. And Rottenberg forcefully objected to this, calling the term goat, greatest of all time, an idolatrous seir azazel. In other words, calling him the goat is a goat offering. It's an idolatrous offering. The idea of greatest of all time, in Rottenberg's words, is a totally non-Jewish concept. Now, for many people, if, if they were referred to with such a term, the greatest, they would start to believe it about themselves. But here was a, a devout Jew, a musician, who upon experiencing too much adulation, pushed back very hard. And I was, I was very inspired by this. This Jewish feeling is really so different than the posture of the idolater for whom the idol exists to serve man. When idolatry is in its most basic form, um, idolatry today is, is less common than it was in the ancient world. And yet at the same time, we still have a lot of self-worship in our modern world. So much of the modern drive focuses on development of the self. The Gemara that we quoted earlier suggests that there is a common pitfall for the idolater, and that is that when greatness is given to them, they immediately say, who is God? And without Hashem at the center of your world, you start to become the center of your own world. And that's a problem for the idolater. If you're Moshe Rabbeinu, you understand, okay, I'm in the middle of this, I'm in the middle of things, but it's really about Hashem. But for the idolater, the world revolves around their own self. And when you have that mind frame, you always expect to have more, especially if you have a power-driven mentality. 
there's always power and possessions that you don't have. And you fear that what's in your hands could be taken away. And so you need more. And remember that while Esav declared, Yeshli Rav, he said, I have much, implying that he could get more. But on the other hand, Yaakov, who was God-centered, declared, Yeshli Kol, I have all, showing his true inner tranquility. The classic self-consumed leader was Haman, who literally needed the world to bow down to him. He was just driven by a need for affirmation from others. And that drive for glory ultimately diminished him deeply. He was no different than Putin. If the Ukraine isn't under his thumb, Putin can't sleep at night. And of course, his big appetite will not stop with Ukraine. So how do we overcome evil? When we think about it, a critical component of responding to evil is that we need to unequivocally identify it and call it out for what it is. Evil and abuse fester in places where they're tolerated. It's just as simple as that. When we identify evil for what it is and we expose it, that's the beginning of overcoming it. We can see that in the crisis unfolding in Ukraine. On the one hand, here we have a naked act of aggression and violation of borders and human rights, literal murder. And thankfully, America and Europe have taken a strong stand against Russia with punishing sanctions. Obviously, it would be very dangerous to go into an out war, out and out war with Russia. But at the same time, China and perhaps India will offer a lifeline of economic support for Putin. Can you imagine what would happen to Putin if the entire world united against him in opposing his wicked schemes? And so when there's tolerance of evil, evil is given a place to continue and to fester and to thrive. One of the most important moments in the Megillah is at Esther's second banquet. And Esther informs the king Akashverosh that an enemy has conspired to do away with the Jewish people, her people. And Akashverosh asks her famously, Who is this that is doing this evil thing? Esther said, This man who is an adversary and an enemy... This wicked Haman. Immediately upon this unequivocal declaration, Haman melts away in his insecurity. The problem rises in our world when leaders are not willing to call out someone who is evil for what they truly are. Tolerance of Putin and others of his ilk over the years have led to unfathomable harm. And that's why Queen Esther took this stand with Akashverosh. And likewise today, we're inspired by that amazing stand that Ukrainians are taking. May God bless their efforts. Next week, we're going to recall the mitzvah of obliterating a Amalek. And for all the challenges that this raises for people, there's a clear message in this mitzvah. That message is that we need to name evil and take a stand against it. And it's true in many contexts. It can be true on a local level. When it comes to squelching abuse in institutions that are close to home, it's true when it comes to eradicating evil tyrants like Putin on an international scale. And while wiping out a nation, a malik, is a hard mitzvah for moderns like us to relate to, there's a profound lesson here for our times. Because in every generation, we must unequivocally identify and denounce evil. And in that light, may we soon see a time when evil is brought to its knees and iniquity perishes from the earth. I'm Ken Brodkin, and this is the Jewish Growth Podcast. <laughs>